I'm going to uh, talk this morning about something that um, I, I, I've been dancing around it for a while, and uh, Mother's Day really made me think, think about it a lot, uh, because, because moms are a unique, uh, they're a unique assignment, and they're unique people in, in our world. Have you, have you ever noticed that moms have a distinct ability, uh, because moms have different names, right? So there's, there's, there's whatever their, uh, whatever their first name is, and and uh, oftentimes, you know, they're called that at work, or or they're called that by their friend. Uh, but then they, but then they have that that title or that name, mom. And when that name, mom, is spoken, uh, it it evokes a different response. And the in- incredible thing about about moms is they have the ability to to distinguish when it's mom and when it's mom. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, I, it was something as a, as, a young, as a young dad that I just started noticing in Desra, like our kids would be like, mommy, mommy, mom. They would come in the room, mom, mommy, mom. And she, I mean, after our first, second kid, like she had this ability to just like, like they would be over here, mom. And like whatever we're doing, she's she's just like they don't like what they're like. She like I'm like you don't hear them like you're not even you're not even moving your you're not breaking stride, mom, mommy. But then, but then there's the moment where it's mom, and all of a sudden whatever was happening stops. And she rushes to the scene of the crime or the <laughs> pain or the chaos. You know what I mean? I mean, we've all had that experience, right? Where somehow or another, mom just knows by the inflection in the voice, by the set of circumstance, that that same name means something very different just by the way it's said or how it's said or where it said, right? We've all had that. We've all probably cried out mom before in exasperation or mom in a tone of rescue me or mom in a tone of I've messed up or, or mom in that mommy, mommy annoying thing too, right? We probably have all done that and moms just seem to instinctively know their name and they know how to respond and when and where to respond, I, as I was thinking about Mother's Day and I was thinking about my experience in watching that happen, I, I also have thought a lot about uh, the different names uh, of God and how we see God referred to by many different names in Scripture. Throughout Scripture, His people have cried out to Him in times of crisis. They've cried out to Him in times when they were in trouble, they cried out to him in times when they messed up. And one of my, one of my favorite names of God, uh, one of my favorite ways in which God is addressed or expressed is found in Exodus chapter 3. I want to read to you from Exodus chapter 3 um, this morning. Exodus chapter 3 verses 1 through 6 says this, now... Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. 
And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mount of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out in the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him, or called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am, listen, this is what God said to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I love this story for a lot of reasons, and this morning, because I want you to get out of service and go home and enjoy time with your mom, I'm not going to go through all of the reasons why I love this story, but one of the primary reasons I love this story is the way that God introduces himself to Moses. Uh, the way that he gives him this name, this nomenclature by which he can know him, he can understand him. And he says, I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. I love, I love that, that way in which God introduces himself. And I find it interesting because throughout the story of scripture, we see that nomenclature used again and again and again to talk about God. God, you know, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I, I'm afraid that for many of us, in, as modern people, we read the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and we don't understand the significance of that name, that way in which God introduced himself and the way in which God's people knew and understood him. Remember, our names, how people know us, help reveal to them who we are. I find it funny uh, because some of you have so many different names. I've got one name that I know you by, and then when I message you on uh, WhatsApp, you've got a whole different name. And then sometimes I'll see you out at the mall or a restaurant, we'll be chatting and somebody will walk by and they'll say, oh, hey, and they call you by a whole different name. And I'm like, is this person working for security services and they have secret identities or you got a work name, you got a home name, I got a name I use with my white friends. I got a name I use with my Indian friends, and then I got my Zulu name. Come on, somebody. You know it's exactly how it is, and I don't even know what to call you half the time. Hey, man. <laughs> it's one of the crazy parts of my life in Durban. We got a lot of different names, but what I have learned is that every one of those names are important. They mean something. 
truly, there is this name that you have at home with those who are close and intimate to you. You grew up with them. They know you a certain way. What I found is often those names are attached to stories about you. They're attached to certain events that have happened in your life. People know you a certain way by that name because that name means something. And then at work, they may know you in a different way because when you're there, you're, you're living out a, a persona, a different persona. There, it's not that you have a split personality, or at least I hope you don't. But, but when you're in one place and when you're in one space, there's an aspect of you that is revealed, that is on display, and that you go by. And then when you're in another place and another space, there's another aspect. Well, the same is true about God and his many different names in Scripture. And this this particular part of God's persona, the, the idea that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, revealed something to his, his people about him and how they could relate to him. And I love this story from Exodus chapter 3, and I love this idea of how God introduced himself. And, and we see it told over and over again throughout Scripture. God's people's story really is built from this Exodus experience, but it didn't start at the Exodus experience. There was stuff that got them there. It was their history and how God had been active among his people that, that got them there. And then when you move forward, you go all the way through hundreds and hundreds of years of history and you get uh, to the book of Acts and you see the church being birthed. They're still telling their stories. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, there is an entire uh, download of this story of what happened in Moses' life. And I want to encourage you this week during your daily 20 to read, to slowly read and process Acts chapter 7. Because it really, it really unpacks or slowly goes through or gives a, a whole overview of the story of Moses and the Exodus and, and what sort of led God's people to that place. And as Moses is coming to this place of being used by God to bring a freedom to his people, we can see in Acts chapter 7 that God had to take him through his own transformational process. And a part of that transformational process was really teaching Moses who he was. And so what I read to you, the episode that I read to you where, where God finds Moses in the wilderness it wasn't like Moses just ended up there. There was a whole drama that got him there. And I love, I love what scripture says. You remember what I read? There's this burning bush. It's on fire, but it's not consumed. Moses is just kind of doing his thing, tending the sheep. And he notices the bush and it gets his attention and he starts to look at it. And it's funny because scripture says, God, seeing that Moses is paying attention starts to speak to him. This is a little bonus leftover from our learning to hear God's voice thing. Isn't it interesting that God speaks to those who are paying attention? A little bonus. Probably want to take some notes here. God speaks to those who are paying attention. I don't know if where Moses lived, there were lots of bushes on fires that weren't consumed. I don't know what it was like if there was lots of noise and lots of distractions. I would think in the wilderness, out there with a bunch of sheep, it would have been a lot of the same thing. But something about that moment caused him to stop and pay attention. 
And the Bible says, when God saw that he stopped and looked, all of a sudden God said, <clears throat> let me introduce myself to you. It's not, Moses, it's not that you don't know me. It's not that you don't know anything about me because, oh, by the way, I'm the same God of your father, of your father's father and your father's father. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. In other words, I've always been here. It just seems that all of a sudden now you're looking. Ooh, that's really good. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing. When you and I get to a place where we start to look and pay attention, I believe God starts to introduce himself and we start to see him and know him in ways that we've never known before. Acts chapter 7 verse 29 says this. So Moses, Moses has, he's had this experience. We're reading about this experience. At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian. Remember I told you there was a story that led us to the story. Moses has tried to take it upon himself to be a deliverer to his people because his people are under so much oppression. His people are being used and abused and it all upsets him. It makes him angry. And so in his own might and his own power, he tries to respond to the abuse and the needs of people around him and it gets him into trouble. And he tries to, he tries to correct other people and the people basically say, we don't want, we don't want your help. And, and so they respond to him, and that's what we read at the retort. Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. That's where we picked up when we read that story. So he's an exile in Midian. He has left his people. He has two sons now, and he is, he is shepherding animals. And out in that place, all of the sudden, all of the sudden, now he's paying attention. I wonder how many times I'm not paying attention. Moms, I, I love you, um, but I watch you, and I see how busy you are, and I see what you go through. I see how much uh, your desire to care for and love and nurture others costs you. And I, I wonder, I, this isn't condemnation. This is, this is like genuine me trying to be honest about myself and, and observing you and your, I wonder how many times all of the stuff in life is positioning us in such a way that we aren't, aren't really, aren't really paying attention. What I learned through the story of Moses is that desperation positions us to experience God in his transcendence. Desperation, desperation positions us to experience God in his transcendence. See, up until this point, Moses was so upset by what was happening to his people that he said, I'm gonna step into this. I've got a certain amount of agency as the adopted son of Pharaoh. I'm going to make a difference in this situation. He tried to take things into his own hands. He tried to control things. He tried to manipulate things. He tried to make things happen in a certain way and he was rejected. And in that rejection, he was chased into a place of isolation. And in that place of isolation, he was introduced to the God of his father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, a transcendent 
God who was bigger than the oppression of the people that he loved and he cared about, that was bigger than his own pain, that was bigger than his own rejection, that was bigger than the own, his own troubles and trials that he had lived. It was somehow in that place, somehow. And I don't, I don't know your story. I, I don't know all of the details of your story, but I, I wonder if the same thing that is true about Moses could be true about your life and my life. Is it possible that that in my desperation, all of a sudden now it leads to a place of vulnerability in my life where I start looking for a God that is bigger and that is more transcendent, that is somehow bigger than my circumstance? I mean, surely isn't there somebody who's gone through what I've gone through? Surely there's a dad who's as overwhelmed as I am. Surely there is a mom who's found herself in this situation where it seems like everything stacks up. There's not enough money to pay the bills. It seems like people don't love my kids. They don't care. Surely other people have felt like, how do I raise my children in this world? Surely other people have been as desperate as I am right now at this point in history. And scripture seems to teach me that in the same way that I'm desperate, that there are others who've been desperate before, and that God is a God who says, in your desperation, let me, let me introduce myself to you. Let me teach you something about me. The transgenerational name of God demonstrates that he is a God of covenant. The transgenerational Name of God teaches us that he is a God of covenant. That's, that's what it means when God says to Moses, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, I am the God of Jacob. What God is saying is I am your covenant God. The covenant that was established with Abraham that was passed on to his son, and that was passed on to his son, that was passed on to the next and the next and the next, all the way down to your father. I am that God, that God that has always been with you, that God that has always been with those who came before you. I am meant to be that God in this moment in your life. Let me introduce myself to you. No, 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 I've got questions. Why are people hurting? No, 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 I've got questions. Why am I on the backside of a wilderness? No, I've got questions. Why am I being accused when all I wanted to do is help? No, no, I have questions. All I'm trying to do is be a good mom and love my kids and work hard. Why am I going through all of this? Why am I alone? And why is there a burning bush? I always find that part of the story really crazy. Why? Why am I here? Why am I going through this? And where are you in all of this, God? Where are you in my pain? Where are you in the pain of other people? What is happening right now? God says, let me, let me explain something to you. Moses, you're, you're, you're not alone. You're not alone. Your pain, I know this is going to hurt somebody's feelings. I know this is going to hurt your feelings. Your pain is not unique to you. Your story may be unique to you, but your pain is not unique to you. Others who have come before you 
have hurt in the same way that you're hurting. No, Randy, you don't understand. What happened to me hasn't happened to anyone else. Maybe not. But I can tell you in the same way that Moses felt rejection and isolation and loneliness and disgust and disappointment and brokenness in the same way that others let him down, in the same way that life didn't add up for him. That story has been repeated in others' lives just as it has been repeated in your life. Your pain is not unique. Your story may be, but your pain is not. And the same God that stepped into Abraham's existence and said, Abraham... Let me call you out into a life with me, into a covenant with me. Let me provide for you, Abraham, what you could never provide for yourself. The same God that spoke that to Isaac and Jacob, the same God that spoke that to Moses is speaking to you and is speaking to me and saying, I desire a covenant with you. I desire a relationship with you that is transcendent of your pain, that is transcendent of your circumstance. Genesis chapter 12 Verses 1 through 3 says this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God steps into the existence of broken humanity. And he determines, he determines, I'm going to correct the story. I'm going to rewrite the story. And so he says to Abraham, Abraham, let me call you out of the house of your father. And let me call you into a new way of life. Let me call you into an existence of blessing. See, up until this point in history, remember in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had sinned in the Garden of Eden, and the brokenness of sin was allowed to rule and reign in the existence of humanity. And up until this place, people were caught in this situation where they were living under the curse of sin and there was no relief from the curse of sin. And God up at this point says, Abraham, I want to call you out of the community that lives under the curse of sin and I want to create a new community in you and through you. I want to create a covenant with you that changes the course of history. And so at Abraham was the establishment of a new covenant that would correct the course of history and reestablish the opportunity for humanity to live in the blessing of God instead of under the curse of sin. It was the moment everything changed. And so when God said to Moses, I'm the God of your father, the God of Isaac, Jacob, and Abraham... Moses would have understood, oh, that's, that's the moment in history where everything changed. Where, where our father's story changed. Our father's story was no longer subject to the curse, but our father's story 
the transgenerational giving from one generational to another. That's what we're talking about. That, that story changed and all of a sudden we now have an opportunity to be restored to blessing instead of curse. Oh, this! why would God say that? Because in Moses' day, especially as a person who grew up in Egypt, stay with me, as a person who grew up in Egypt, Moses would have been exposed to all kinds of gods. He grew up in a world in which people believed lots of different things. They served lots of different gods. They worshipped lots of different gods. And all of those different gods had different rules. And all of those different gods made different promises to their people. Now you and I understand that all of those gods represent demonic powers and demonic spirits. But for the people in Moses' day they would have been subject to the belief in all of these gods. Some of them would have worshipped their ancestors. Some of them would have worshipped multiple gods. Some of them that looked like animals and different shapes and forms. And there were all sort of narratives that the people in Moses' day would have believed. And so when God shows up to Moses in a bush that's burning but isn't consumed all of those all of that imagery matters and it catches the attention of Moses because it's distinguishing this god from all of the other supposed gods that existed in the world that day and here's what god says to Moses that makes him different is he says Moses I am I am the god of your father the God of Isaac, Jacob, Abraham. I am the God of covenant. All of these other gods, all of these other gods make you promises they can't keep. All of these other gods force you into behavior that, denigra that denigrates you. They force you into behavior that causes you to believe that if you do things for them, then they're going to do things for you. They get you caught in these relationships of supposed reciprocity. If, if you behave a certain way, if you offer them these certain sacrifices, if, if you behave in this religious activity, if you show this allegiance to them, then they'll do these things for you. All the while, these gods... These gods are, can't promise you life. They're not giving you life. And what seems to be very clear, Moses, is that these gods haven't always existed. They don't have a story that is consistent. They make promises they cannot keep. They use and abuse you instead of loving you and keeping you. So God was saying to Moses, Moses, what makes me different is that I am a God uh, of covenant. I am a God that makes promises and keeps them. We see this repeated over and over again. The covenant that God made with Abraham. We see it again in Genesis chapter 21. We see it in Genesis chapter 26 with Jacob. We see it also in Genesis chapter 28 with Isaac. See, this covenant went from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. God just kept making these promises and he kept keeping these promises that he made with his people. And here Moses is at this place of desperation and God shows up and says, listen, Moses, 
What I've demonstrated throughout human history is that I'm a God who keeps my promises. And I am here to keep my promise in your life. I am here to keep my promise in your life. As a covenant God, the passing of blessing from one generation to the next is expected. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who has blessed Abraham and so as a result has blessed Isaac and so as a result has blessed Jacob and so as a result has blessed your father Moses and so as a result is here to bless you. Probably about two years ago, there was this just, and I hate to use this language because I know it's so loaded, uh, but I don't know how else to express it. There was just this word that was dropped in my heart. And the word is this, that the, the blessing of God is inevitable. The inevitability of covenant is one of the most powerful concepts that I think we as Christians miss. What do you mean by that, Pastor? What I mean is that here's the thing. When God speaks something, it's done. Like when God speaks something to one generation, whether they live it out or not, it's still done. God can make a promise to my generation and my generation may not respond to the promise. He may not, we may not respond to the direction of God. And so we may, not, we may not inherit or live out that promise, but God has already determined it. And so if we don't inherit it, if we don't live it out, he'll just raise up another generation or another or another. See, the entire testimony of Scripture, those of you who are really intelligent and you really like to study things and see things, if you'll study Scripture, what you'll see is the story in which God made a promise to a group of people and then some of those people said, oh, look at this promise God has made to us. I want to live in that promise. And so they enjoyed the blessing of that promise. But then others would come along and they were like, oh, well, you know what? I know that promise is there, but, but I want to do my own thing. I want want to rebel instead of being and instead of living in the benefit of the blessing I want to I want to live in the benefit of free will and free choice and so I'm going to do my own thing and so they stepped out under the covering out from under the covering of blessing and they stepped back into the wild and crazy and destructive nature of the curse into rebellion and so one generation would come along and they would live under blessing and another generation would come along and they would live under curse because of their choice. But none of those things change what God said. So when God says to Moses, I'm the God of your father, of Abraham, Jacob, of Isaac, what he was saying was, I'm the God of covenant. I'm the God who makes promises and keeps them. Now how you respond, Moses, is up to you. How you respond in this situation is your choice and your decision. I've made a covenant and I'm going to keep that covenant. I'm passing the opportunity, the blessing of that covenant from one generation to another. It's inevitable. 
It's inevitable. It just keeps hunting you down. It keeps searching for you. It keeps looking for you. Moses, you killed somebody, ran all the way out into the desert, married some foreign woman, have a bunch of kids, and I still found you. Man, somebody's got to get that. Some of you are the product of prayers and promises that were made to generations long ago that you don't even know anything about. Some of you are the products of prayers and promises that grandmas and great-grandmas and great-great-greats that you never even heard of prayed and heard from God and you're here today in this building in this moment with an opportunity to respond to this God who loves you more than you love yourself not because of anything that you've done but because he spoke and because he's determined he's determined he is determined to fulfill his word History has shown us that over and over and over again, he just keeps fulfilling his word. He keeps passing blessing from one generation to another. The question is not whether or not blessing has been passed from one generation to another. The question is whether or not this generation will step into that blessing. Will live in that blessing. Will choose that blessing. As I told you earlier, my, my mother is probably, she's not probably, she is the most generous person I know. Probably the kindest person I know. But um, I learned in life as a child, I, I, I had choices to make. Either I was, I was going to choose to live under the covering of her wings and all that that meant. Or I was going to choose to rebel and do it my way. And have to experience all that that meant as well. Every one of us in this room have to make choice. Will I live in blessing or will I live in curse? 2 Timothy chapter 1. Let me read verses 2 through 5 to you. It says this to Timothy, my dear son. Grace and mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. See, that language is there over and over again. If you don't get that, you don't get the Bible. The Bible is a book of ancestry. There's so, why is there all these names listed in the Bible? It's because history matters. Because history proves that God is who he says he is. No, the Bible's not true. It's not real. It's your opinion. Garbage. It's the most examined book in history. And their names are there to prove that it's true. Go try to prove it wrong. You can't. You arrogant, arrogant person. You cannot. That's why the details are there, baby. The details are there because God is a God of detail. And he says, oh, let me prove myself to you. I've got a story. I did it in his life. I did it in her life. I did it in his life. He named names, baby. Because he's a God who keeps his word. To my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God whom I've served. As my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears. I long to see you so that I may be filled with love. 
I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy, let me talk to you a little bit. I know you. I know you because I know others. Um, and you look a whole lot like them. And your story is bigger than you. It's longer than you. I did a um, sermon series called My Dear Son back in October of, uh, I think it was uh, 2022, 2021, 2022. You can go look it up. We went through the letters to Timothy. I'd encourage you to do that. I love this note to Timothy. Timothy, there's this transcendent uh, faith that just exists in you. There's this inevitability, that inevitable story that's been built in your life, whether you like it or not. And I see it. It's at work inside of you. You can't avoid it. Your mother and your grandmother passed it on to you. See, blessing um, is dependent on modeling to the next generation the staying power of covenant-keeping life. Moms, um, if you hear anything today, hear this. Blessing is dependent on modeling to the next generation the staying power of covenant-keeping life. It's not the grades that your kids will make in school. It's not how they perform at, at, uh, on sports. It's not how well they curtsy or shake people's hands or hugs uncle so-and-so. No, blessing, blessing is based on how well you model to them covenant-keeping um, life. Because God is a covenant-keeping God, and if you'll be a, a covenant-keeping mom, you'll pass on to your children how to be covenant-keeping people in the world who experience the joy of ble and, the, and the blessing of living in covenant rather than the pain and the heartache of the curse. I want what's better for my children. Wonderful. Model how to keep covenant. Because God's keeping his covenant. Generation to generation to generation to generation has taught us that even in our rebellion, even in our ignorance, even in our anger and our bitterness and rage, even in our running from him, he doesn't run from us. He just consistently loves and cares and shows mercy and grace and just keeps keeping his word. He just, he just keeps his word. And, and here's the deal. When we are people who who say, yes, you keep your word, so I'm gonna keep mine. You're a God who loves me, and so I'm gonna love you back. You're a God who's consistent with me, and so I'm gonna be consistent with you. What I teach my children is consistency, and when my children learn consistency, all of a sudden the chaos of the world that we cannot control becomes calm. You can read through all of 2 Timothy. I, I'd encourage you to do that. Paul just gives instruction after instruction after instruction what it really means to legitimately be a mature uh, Christian and a mature leader. I'll just skip down real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses, uh, I'll probably read 1 through 6 here, I think. Um, but understand this, and in the last days there will, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, 
You can't make anybody happy. Wow. Slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households. And he goes on to talk about fake leaders who take advantage of people. The point being that Paul has given Timothy these very clear instructions. He says, listen, as the great days grow longer and we come closer to the end, here, here's, what, here's what you're going to see, Timothy, is that people, um, people are going to be all about themselves. And be self-centered and self-serving. And out of being self-centered and self-serving, they self-justify any action or activity or behavior uh, that fulfills what they want, when they want it, how they want it. And the world, the world system will be about self-gratification, self-realization, self-idolization. Man, I don't know about you, but that sounds like the world I live in. Everything in pop psychology, everything in media, everything in entertainment, everything in in my world. And unfortunately, I have to apologize. It seems like almost everything in the so-called church is all about self. Self-realization, self-actualization, self-gratification, self-idolization. And Paul warns Timothy, uh, no, those who... Follow God. Those who are living in covenant and blessing, um, Timothy, they don't they don't live like this. They don't, Timothy. It wasn't modeled to you by your grandmother or your mother to be all about themselves, and so you also, Timothy, you can't live your life with it being all about you. Because if you go down that road, here's what you become, Timothy. Here's what you become. Timothy, your mother, your grandmother, your ancestors, my ancestors, Paul speaking, served a covenant-keeping God. His name, who he was. So I'm a God of covenant. And Timothy, the only acceptable response for you and I is that we too become people of covenant. That we're people of covenant. And here's the thing about covenant. Here's the thing about covenant. Covenant means you now are in a a codependent, connected relationship. It can no longer just be about you. If I'm in covenant with you, what that means is we've made an agreement and, and it's no longer just about me. Everything about me is now about you. And everything about you is now about me. That's why scripture calls it cutting a covenant. It was a physical act that happened and we were commingled. And so everything from that moment forward, everything from that moment forward is shared. And the moment I step away from sharing is the moment I step out of covenant. And therefore all of the benefits and blessing and good stuff that comes through that covenant, I no longer am joined with because I'm no longer joined with you. God says, look, Timothy, Paul says, Timothy, look, when you 
behave in a way that's all about you, you're behaving in a way that's inconsistent with the way your mother and grandmother and our ancestors taught us to walk in relationship with God. So now every part of your life, the way you think, the way you speak, the way you feel, the way you seek fulfillment has to be filtered through your covenant. Who is God? What is his name? His name is, I am a God of covenant. So now your name and my name have to be, I am a person also of covenant. I'm a person who's not about me, but about my relationship with God and honoring him. And here's the thing, when I consistently do that, I pass that on to those who come after me. I pass that on to my children and their children's children. 